Tonight we have a little teaching called the change of address. Like, you know, you move and you go to the post office with your change of address thing and you change all your utilities over. And, you know, when the people were in the wilderness, this really got difficult for them because every few days, every couple of weeks, every month or so, they were putting in change of address things. And, you know, you, you may have seen the joke on Facebook where there's all these people in the wilderness and Moses has the GPS. And they keep saying, recalculating, recalculating. <laughs> but it's called the change of address because after all these songs about Yeshua, all these songs about his power, his coming back as judge, he's going to roar. You know, it's interesting because he's going to come back as a lion. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And if you read uh, Genesis chapter 49, when old Jacob, Israel, is about to die and he blesses all of his boys. And we're not going to go through all the blessings, but it's worth reading. You can read that for your homework, Genesis 49. But around verse 10 or so, he blesses Judah, Yehuda, and tells him that he's going to be like a lion. He's going to tear apart his prey. He's going to roar. Everyone is going to be subjected to him. He's going to have the scepter. So the tribe of Judah has the scepter. And it's the ruling tribe. And everyone is going to submit. Just like last week, we talked about all the brothers bowing down to Joseph. Everyone in the world is going to submit to the Lion of Judah, who, of course, is Yeshua. The church now is expecting the Lamb to come back because we're all getting along. We're all singing nice songs. We all have high vibe Jesus and isn't everything just nice? but who's coming back as the lion of Judah. And when you read the accounts, you know, he's got a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. He has an iron rod in his hand. He has blood all over his garments. The day of the suffering servant, the day of the lamb was then. Now the lion is coming back. So we know what he did. We know how he came. We know where he came. We know all of the... I don't want to say the story. We know all of it. And I hope, you know, you read the scriptures and you get the, the foundation of it and you study Torah so that you get an even better foundation of it and you read through the prophets so that you get an even better foundation of it. But tonight we're going to talk about actually two readings, both from the New Testament. I know that's unusual for me. Usually it's one in one. But they're both from the Brit HaDashah, both from the New Testament. And the first one is going to be from Matthew 4. Now, you probably know this, and you keep in mind that John the Baptist and Yeshua were related. They were cousins. We don't know exactly how close. Luke tells us that Mary and Elizabeth were kinswomen. Sometimes they're called cousins. Sometimes they're just called kinswomen. They were related. And 
I always love the passage where Mary goes to the whole hill country of Judah. How many people here have been through the hill country of Judah? It is unbelievable. <laughs> Even in a car, it's kind of like amazing to drive up and down those hills and around the mountains. And all I can think of is little Mary and maybe somebody who went with her, and she was about three months pregnant at the time, going through this hill country, walking, maybe having a donkey. But the cool part is when she gets to Elizabeth's house, because she has Jesus, Elizabeth has John the Baptist. John the Baptist leaps for joy, and he goes from being kind of, you know, normal baby developing to being charismatic. <laughs> and he's singing and jumping, and you could kind of see him waving his arms. Because Messiah Yeshua has now come into the room, and the Holy Spirit has fallen on that room, and Elizabeth's filled with the Spirit and talks. Mary's filled with the Spirit and does her beautiful song. Little John is filled with the Spirit, and he's not even ready to be born yet. So all that is kind of the background to this. So they were related. Now, we hear in, the many, in many of the passages that there's some doubt. You know, John, you know, are, are you the one we're to look for? I mean, are you the one we're waiting for? Or should we look for somebody else? When he says that, you know, he's in a pit. He's in a dungeon. He's in a horrible prison. He's being abused by King Herod. And, of course, he called out Herod for marrying his brother's sister, uh, wife. He, Herod married his brother's wife. And John the Baptist couldn't tolerate that. And so that's why he was imprisoned. And then he was beheaded. But all that to say, Matthew 4, 12. Now, when Yeshua heard John had been put in prison he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulon and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and the shadow of death, light has dawned. We talked about this just before Christmas time. We talked about this passage from Isaiah. I think that was here. The land of Zebulon and Naphtali in the Galilee. It was called the Galilee of the Gentiles because the people in Jerusalem didn't like Galileans. And it doesn't take much to understand that when you read the accounts of Holy Thursday, Good Friday, how they treated Peter, let alone Yeshua, but how they talked to him. We know you're one of them. Even your accent gives you away. You know, you, we know you losers, and you look and sound like one. Even your beard looks weird. You know, they used to make a little nod in their beard that the people in, in Judea, the land of Judah, didn't have. Galileans weren't educated. It was backwoods people. There were only seven synagogues in all of Galilee. There were no institutions of higher learning. It wasn't a place where you went. Yeah, but you didn't go away to college to Galilee if you lived in Jerusalem. Where's Jordan? I thought that was pretty funny. I need to get a laugh track. But, uh, you know, the Galileans were looked down on. 
They were uneducated. They were backwards. They called it the Galilee of the Gentiles, which was an insult. No offense to all of us Gentiles, but we do have one non-Gentile here, but we won't go into that. <laughs> so these people who are in darkness have seen a great light. Isaiah talks about this. We did this already. And how is this prophecy fulfilled? You know, Isaiah is, I'm not even going to tell you again how awesome he is. But how is this fulfilled? Yeshua lives in Nazareth, which is in the land of Zebulon. He moves to Capernaum after he finds out John is in prison, which is in the land of Naphtali. Isn't that amazing? So Isaiah's prophecy written 700 years before this is fulfilled. The light goes into this place where people are living in darkness. They're living in the shadow of death. They're living in the gloom, and the light, capital L, comes. You know, in John chapter 8, the, the day after Sukkot ended that year, Yeshua said, I'm the light of the world. You guys have all these cool lights on here, you know, the menorahs are burning and the candles are burning and the lamps are burning, and that's pretty cool. And now in our time, look what we could add. We got lights over here that are blinding me and causing havoc with my migraine, and we got lights all over town. But he's the light of the world. You know, when the sun comes up, the moon and the stars kind of disappear because they're overshadowed by the light. So he's capital L going into this region that Isaiah talked about 700 years before. From that time, Yeshua began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He moved to Capernaum. He changed his address. He had been brought up in Nazareth. He had gone into the wilderness to be tempted. He went back to Nazareth. Goes to Jerusalem, comes back, finds out that John's in prison, and he moves to Capernaum. If you go to Capernaum now, it's really awesome. There's a first, there's, well, there's a, a synagogue there, ruins of a synagogue, but there's ruins of the synagogue that Yeshua taught in. John chapter 6 tells us this, he gave this teaching at the synagogue of, in Capernaum. The foundation of that original synagogue is there. Then there's ruins of a newer synagogue on top of it. And the ruins, the whole city is ruins. Nobody lives there except a bunch of monks. There's a monastery there. Nobody lives there. Because Jesus said, nobody's going to live here anymore. Because you guys didn't know who I was. And you guys saw all these miracles. And you guys didn't believe. And he said, if Sodom and Gomorrah had seen these miracles, they wouldn't have been destroyed. Whew. Pretty harsh. So he moves to Capernaum and starts to preach to repent for the kingdom is at, at hand. So he changed his address. Matthew quotes from Isaiah 9. So he's the light that goes into this region just to fulfill Isaiah's prophecy. We don't know. He, most people think he stayed at Peter's house. The ruins of what's thought to be Peter's house are like a stone's throw from the sea. And then, of course, you know, like every place else in the Holy Land, somebody comes and builds a big church on top of the ruins. 
I wish they would have just left everything the way it was. But anyway, so most people think he lived in Peter's house when he was there. It doesn't tell us that he did. But he lived in Capernaum for, for quite a while. And he finds out that John the Baptist is in prison. Why does that trigger him to move? Why does that trigger him to go to another place? He probably knew that John was going to be imprisoned. He probably knew what was going to happen. But he moved. He knows this ahead of time. He knows his cousin. Let's call him cousin. He's kind of connected to him, of course, in his divinity. He knows completely of him. We don't know, you know, since he has both natures and they're not mixed and they're not confused, but we don't know exactly what went through his mind, but he knows the cries of John who's in prison. And later he hears, are you the one or should we look for somebody else? I mean, I thought you were the Messiah. I mean, every time we had a family reunion, you told me that. And I've been preaching. I've been your messenger. You're supposed to deliver people from captivity. You're supposed to deliver people from prison. I'm rotting in this prison. And I'm eating this slop once a day. And I can't even see outside. Are you going to get me out of this prison or what? Should I look for somebody else? You can hear this like frustration and depression that sets in. You know, these were not like, you know, state prisons where you have a nice cell and you have a bathroom and you have a place to work out and you have a, you know, a library and you have a movie place. This is some hole in the ground. And once in a while, somebody gave you some slop to eat. And it, I can't even imagine the smell. I can't even imagine what it would have been like in there. So he hears the cries of John. And he moves. Hmm. Interesting. John had prepared his way. Again, Isaiah, Malachi, both said a messenger was coming. Before him. All the prophets said, someday he's coming. Someday he's coming. Someday he's coming. John the Baptist said, there he is. And points to him. Can you imagine? Points to him. Says, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one we've been waiting for since Genesis 3.15. He wouldn't have said that. But he's the one we've been waiting for for a long time. There he is. I'm his messenger. I'm preparing the way. I'm the one Isaiah talked about. Make straight his paths, fill in the valleys, lower the mountains. Because we have to all have access to him without obstructions in our way. We have to get rid of obstructions in our way. Sometimes church people are obstructions, obstruct us. Sometimes they're really scholarly religious types. What do you, Peter, what do you know? (laughs) Look at you. You're a what? Fisherman? Fisherman? You smell like one. I think I told you I was doing a teaching at a big church in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island, Canada. And I was talking about this, kind of, what a sorry bunch the apostles were. 
oh, you know, these guys, you know, they smell like fish everywhere they go and they're cleaning fish, you know, and they smell like fish everywhere. Their clothes smell like fish. So when I was done with the talk, these five or six guys come up to me and go, we're fishermen. <laughs> but we had some good laughs with that. And then we went out to dinner, so everything was cool. <laughs> we had fish and everything was cool. So John had prepared his way. Malachi says, Elijah's going to come and prepare the way. People said to Yeshua, I thought Elijah was supposed to come. He said, he did. You just didn't recognize him. Then it says they knew he was talking about John the Baptist. Not that he's Elijah reincarnated, but he's an Elijah-like figure. And so he prepared the way. He says, I have to decrease while he increases. People went to John the Baptist and said, are you the Christ? He says, no, I'm not. I have to decrease. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals or untie the sandals, depending what translation you have. I'm baptizing you with water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Fire. Winnowing fan in his hand. Judgment. The chaff he's going to burn up. The good part of the wheat he's going to put in the barn. You want to make sure you're the good part of the wheat. Okay, get an amen. You got to make sure you're the good part of the wheat. This was an agricultural society. They understood what he's talking about. The winnowing fan. They threw the wheat up in the air and they waved this big fan and the chaff blew away and the kernels fell down. So John says, I have to decrease. He has to increase. He's about to be manifested. I'm here to tell you that's him, and he's going to be manifested. He's among you, but you don't know him yet. But pretty soon, you're going to know him. Pretty soon, the world who has rejected him outright is going to come to see him and know him. And it's going to be too late for them. Because it'll be too late to repent then. Our job is to get ready, get people ready, just like John the Baptist did. Because there's a lot of people out there that have no clue what we're talking about. And even though I hope, really hope inside my gut that he does come back tonight, imagine the people that aren't going to be included. So, he was about to be manifested. Why had he even come? He's changing his address here. But why was he even here? Why did he have to move then? When he finds out John's in prison, he understands prison. He understands what John is going through. He understands the anguish that John has. And he changes his address. He moves to Capernaum. He changes his location because of this. He's in a humble place. He goes to a more humble place. All because of the anguish of a prisoner. This isn't the glory of Jerusalem. He's not hanging around with the scholarly people that are in the priesthood. He's not hanging around with the Sanhedrin. He's not hanging around with those guys that wore all the cool stuff that said the really long prayers and made their tassels longer and longer and made their phylacteries bigger and bigger. 
so that everybody else said, man, that guy's so holy. Look at him. Got all that stuff. And I just got this little thing. He doesn't, he's not hanging around with them. He's not hanging around with the elite. He's not part of the establishment. He's living in poverty in a dirty, sickening place. He's living in our garbage dump. We spent many, many, many months in garbage dumps, Joan and I did, that are so sickening that it would be hard to describe to you unless you saw it and smelled it, unless you saw the rats and saw the flies. It's hard to imagine people living in a garbage dump. But we all live in a garbage dump. We all live in filth. You, got, you, might, you guys might remember, uh, well, I won't mention his name, but from home group, the other doctor who used to come, who used to always say, to really get and understand people, you got to get down into the goo with them. You have to get into their mess. You can't understand them from here. You, know, you can't sit in your ivory tower and go, oh, look at that. Oh, man. Pretty tough being him. You have to get down there in the goo. Yeshua got down into the goo with these people. Into their mess. Into our garbage dump. Time and space was the ultimate change of address. He came into time and space. He came into a body made out of dirt. He had a body made out of dirt. Because he had a human body. He went from the glory of heaven to living in a dirt body, living in the middle of a fishing village with all these smelly people. And imagine all the things he saw growing up. The guy over here running around with some woman, guy over here embezzling money, guy over there doing this other thing. Oh, nice guy over there doing some nice stuff. But man, all of the stuff that he saw, because he, he lived in the mess he changed his address from the glory of heaven to the garbage dump. And so, in a dirty, poor place, this wasn't his own place. He didn't live, he didn't come from here. But he came for a specific reason. He came to get us out of the garbage dump because there's no other way to get out of the garbage dump. You can't pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You can do that at your job, and it's great. You can go to school, and you can, but you can't pull yourself out of the garbage dump. You can't fix yourself. Nor can any other person fix you. So he's got no place to lay his head. Do the prosperity people ever preach that? He has no place to lay his head. He has to borrow a donkey on Palm Sunday. He owns one set of clothes. They didn't want to rip the robe or whatever they said it was. I don't know what they did with this talit, but they didn't want to rip the robe. It's the only piece of clothing that he had that was actually something. So he came into this place, no place to lay his head. 
surrounded by all the dregs of humanity, imprisoned people around him. How were they in prison? Sin. Sin. You like in The Chosen where he says to Nicodemus, I didn't come to get rid of the Romans. I came to deal with sin. Nicodemus says, sin? Yeah, that's the problem. Everything that happens is a result of sin. Our bodies are degenerating. Our hair's falling out. We're getting diseases. All the things we see because of sin. It wasn't supposed to be this way. All men sin, therefore all men die, Paul says in Romans. So he's surrounded by imprisoned people. We're surrounded by imprisoned people. We were in prison. It's a prison of grudgery. It's the yoke that we talked about. It's the rod of the taskmaster. Come on. What do you mean go to church? What do you mean go to Bible study? Go have some fun. Why don't you do something fun? Don't go hang around with those losers. You know, you're worshiping God. Look at you. You're a mess. You think he loves you? You're a disaster, man. Yeah, I guess I am a disaster. Yeah. Rod of the taskmaster. Come on, go. He breaks that. So he's surrounded by in prison. This is not the glory where he came from. He wasn't walking around heading to some glorious place in the Galilee or in Jerusalem for that matter. This was not the place where he had come from. He was not here to be comfortable. Paul says, I've been shipwrecked. I've been stoned. I've been beaten with rods. I've been attacked by Jews. I've been attacked by Gentiles. I've been attacked in the city. I've been attacked in the countryside. You know, he got left for dead. He got escaped from someplace from Thessalonica in a basket. Was it Thessalonica? He escaped from someplace in a basket. He didn't have the Joel Osteen life. But he said, this is what I do. Because I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. It's not about me. It's not about us. So he's not going to Capernaum to have some place of comfort where he can relax, where things are going to be good. But why? He's motivated by somebody's imprisonment, he's motivated by our imprisonment. Yeah, ours. Not just the people living in his time. Not just the people that lived in the days of the Tanakh. People in the wilderness with Moses. Not just the people that are going to be... Oh, I hope he's, we're not still going to be around 20 years from now. But not from all the people that are going to be around years from now. For everybody. Because everybody is in prison. And has been in prison since Adam and Eve. Everybody has been in prison. So he's motivated by somebody's imprisonment. He heard someone he loved was in prison. Now it's time for the light to shine into the prison. 
And he goes to the land of Zebulon and Naphtali. It's time for the light to shine into the darkness. It's time to set captives free. He hears John is in prison. He knows this is it. This is the earthly ministry of his now in full tilt. You know the wedding feast at Cana, right? You all know that story. And it sounds like, you know, he doesn't want to listen to his mother. It sounds like he doesn't care what she has to say. It sounds like he doesn't care about these people's problem. Hey, they should have planned better. You know, send somebody out to buy some wine. No, he knows that once he starts doing miracles, the weight of the cross is now there. Because now his earthly manifestation starts. So it's time now to set the captives free. He's heard about John, and he goes on the move. He sets his course based on the fact that somebody he loves is in prison. He sets his ultimate course because people he loves, us, and billions of people that have lived through history, have been imprisoned by sin, by Satan, by even our own frail humanity. You know, it doesn't take a lot of demons to make your life miserable. You can usually make your life miserable on your own. <laughs> Where's Jordan? Oh, Ron's laughing. That's good. So we're going to move to Ephesians 4, 7. But to each of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. This is a quote from Psalm 68, 18. David writes this 1,000 years before Messiah is born. 1,000 years. David is his ancestor. He's the son of David. He sits on the throne of his father, David. Even Gabriel even tells Mary that. This baby you're going to have is going to sit on the throne of his father, David, forever. Wait a minute, his father's David? Yes. Messianic title, the son of David. So David writes in Psalm 68, you have ascended on high. Ascended? What's he talking about? You have ascended on high. You have led captivity captive. What's captivity? I'm in a prison. I can't break out of this. My life is just, you know, one sin after another and one drudgery after another and one dark place to another. I can't get out of this. Every time I try to follow the law, it's a disaster. Paul tells the Galatians, the law is the schoolmaster that drives you to the cross when you realize you can't do it. You can't do this. I don't care how hard you try to follow the law, you won't. So he's going to lead captivity captive, and he's going to ascend. So Paul goes on. This is back to Ephesians 4. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who is descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. What's he saying here? David says somebody's going to ascend 
Yeah, the ascension of Yeshua happened on the top of the Mount of Olives. Remember, top of the Mount of Olives. With all those guys going, where, is he, where did he go? It says he was lifted up while he was still talking. He was lifted up. And they're like, we never saw him do this. Then the angel says, you know, men of Galilee, why are you looking into the sky? Well, you know, I don't know about you guys, but we've never seen anything like this. Oh, come on, that was pretty funny. And then the angel says, you're going to see him come back the same way you saw him leave. Zechariah tells us he's going to, the Mount of Olives is going to split when his foot touches it. Woo! And it's going to split. Mount of Olives. So for somebody to ascend, like David said, he, it has to be somebody who first descended. So he descended to the lower parts of the earth. So it's somebody who left the glories of heaven and came to the lowest parts of the earth. We know the ascension takes place after his death, after his resurrection. Now, the resurrection is the ultimate sign, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15. Please read that for your homework, too, along with Genesis 49. But 1 Corinthians 15, resurrection. If there's no resurrection, then we're still in our sins because Jesus is just a dead guy. Right? You might as well have Abraham Lincoln as your Messiah. He's a dead guy. So after his death and his resurrection, he ascends. The Spirit comes after he's glorified, as he tells the apostles in John 15, 16, 17. Well, actually, 14, 15, 16. You can read all those chapters for your homework, too. Or better yet, go to the Gift of Grace website and hear an audio teaching about all of those chapters. He... <clears throat> So after he's glorified, the Spirit comes, the gift of grace is given. Which is the name of my radio show. <laughs> For that this exact reason. So someone ascends. So what was he doing? What was his work? Why was he here? To release people from captivity. The word that's used there in, in the psalm text and it's almost the same language as in the Ephesians text. It means the conquest of an enemy. You know, when ancient armies conquered another army, they brought the leaders back, their king back. They had a parade. They brought their king in front of their king who put his foot on his neck. That was making your enemy your footstool, which is quoted in the, in the scriptures. Eventually, all of Jesus' enemies are going to be his footstool. So it's the conquest of an enemy. It's a release from captivity. And then grace and gifts are given. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, in chapter 5, I should say, that all the gifts are given for the building up of the body. They're not for you to enjoy. You know, if you have the gift of music... You're not supposed to just sit in your family room all day and play your guitar, right? Fun for you, but you got to build up the body. 
if you make a new teaching every day, but no one ever hears it, great for you, but it's supposed to build up other people. So his work is to release people from captivity and to conquer an enemy, to conquer Satan. Paul says he made a spectacle of Satan on the cross. Spectacle. Not what Satan was expecting. We're released from captivity by what he did. And then we're anointed with grace and gifts. Because first there's the cross and then there's the spirit released. So as the plan of salvation unfolds, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 and other places has to suffer. All the, all the writings in the Torah about blood atonement, blood, 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 blood. It's all about blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. All of these things are pointing to the cross. Then Yeshua says, once I've done this, once I'm glorified, then the spirit of truth is going to come. Then the paraclete is going to come. Then the other advocate is going to come. Then the other comforter is going to come. So, did he have an address change? Yes, from glory to earth, from riches to poverty, from grandeur to a garbage dump, and then back to heaven. Yeah, he changed his address when he moved to Capernaum, and people in Nazareth were probably saying, what's with that? Why didn't he stay here? Oh, I know we tried to kill him, but, I mean, we've known, this, we've known him since he was a kid. Why did he leave? I know we tried to kill him and we made fun of him and we yelled at him and we tried to throw him off the precipice, but geez, touchy. He moved out of town. So the real change of address is from glory to the deepest part of the earth, from riches to poverty, and then back to glory from glory to humiliation and death. Humiliation and death. You know how humiliating it is to be crucified? You know how at Christmas time I tell everybody, throw your nativity sets away? Didn't look like that. Well, crucifixes don't portray it either. You know, a couple of wounds here, you know, wound here, wound here, wound over here, wound over here. No, that's not what it looked like. It was horrible. And it was humiliating. It was always done in public. They were always stripped of their clothes. We can't even imagine. So he goes to the earth, suffers humiliation and death with a body from the earth and then buried in the earth. Isaiah even said he's going to be buried with sinners. He's going to be buried in a tomb that isn't his. And people think the Old Testament's boring. I can't even stand it. You know, they'll spend 12 hours worrying about a football game. But, oh man, you know, want me to read Isaiah 53, I have time for that. So he's even buried in the earth in a tomb that he had to borrow. 
wasn't his tomb. He descended, then he ascended. That was his main change of address. And why? Because he hears the cries of prisoners. He's moving on a course to get people out of the prison by destroying sin and death. What do we have now in the church? Hey, I'm okay, you're okay. We have some nice songs here. Our sermon is today is going to be about how awesome y'all are. Nobody's awesome. He came to be buried in the earth. He came to destroy sin and death, and he took captivity captive. We're not in prison anymore. That's the main change of address. People don't even want to hear about it. People think we're crazy. Everybody's welcome. Yes, that's true. But now, 21st century Christianity is, hey, God has to accept me on my terms. I'll, <laughs> he should be happy I'm even here. I don't want to know about his terms. I'm going to tell him my terms. But he changed his ultimate address in order to give us, get us out of prison, in order to take captivity captive. Amazing. Amazing. How awesome is that?